Hey people, this is episode 156 of Just Because the Human Experience Podcast. I'm Michael Lobo. Still. This was recorded June 1st. Today is June 11th. My guest was Matt Navarez, my brother. I was excited. He's running for the Alhambra Elementary School Board. I'm going to put in the show notes where you could um, donate or keep up with his Facebook page so you can help out if you'd like. I think you should. Or listen to this episode and then decide if you should. Um, I vouch for him if that means anything to you beautiful people out there. If not, then (sighs) go sit on a pin. No. I'm kidding. Please. No. Listen. Listen to the episode. Um, Like I said, I believe in this guy. I I love this guy. Give it a listen. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to him or reach out to me and I'll reach out to him. Or reach out to him to reach out to me. We'll reach out to each other and it'll reach out back to you. I'm just going to stop. Enjoy. yourself i'm sorry i'm four minutes late i'm excited to talk to you in in this way how long have we known each other uh, 11 quiz. years 11 years oh wow my guess was at least 10 but okay 11, so then 11 falls in there or going on i think 12 years yes uh, we met we met we met january of 2011 so then yeah and... 11 almost 11 and a half years we just made everybody math right now. Do you want to tell everyone what you're <laughs> running for? Yeah. My name is Matt Navarez, and I am running for the Alhambra Elementary School Board District uh, Governing Board. Um, I live here with, you know, within a district um, near one of the schools, Westwood, and so I'm running within Alhambra. When you told me, or I don't know if you posted something and I saw it or if we had talked about it a different time, I thought, well, that makes sense because out of the people I know, and if we, we go specifically like in our chapter in the fraternity, who I think would do it, because that's, that's a huge thing is to run for any sort of public office to take that huge responsibility on. And um, anyone who, who probably should or and could do it, I, you're one of the, the few people I could even would name that would be capable with that you've always stood out to me as someone who who's cared about the, their community and i've always been drawn to that about you i've always admired that and i've i've asked you quite a few times in in our relationship different ways to get more involved like what organizations there are and you've just always been insightful about that sort of stuff where does that come from for you why do you care so much well, I appreciate that observation because I, I've, I've kind of shied away in the beginning, in my earlier years of advocacy, of the even the word advocate. And when people say, oh, you're an advocate, because I was 
you know, advocating for immigration rights and immigration reform, you know, particularly with DREAM Act. I, I shied away because I, I just felt like it was just a word to say, oh, you care. And like, I wanted something more meaningful behind it. And I, I've always put myself in my work when it comes to helping others. And so being a social worker or my field in social work, I've always just helped different uh, individuals. Um, but to kind of answer your question about where it came from, I think for me, it's rooted in where I grew up, how I grew up and what I did to navigate that. And, and for me, education was, uh, particularly with school, was an escape. Um, there was a lot of things going around, around where I grew up with, you know, uh, gang affiliations and drug deals gone wrong and um, people who were living in poverty. I was surrounded by that in my, in my, in my neighborhood. And, you know, just hearing the kind of violence that was out, out there, I, I just kind of associated with school being that safe space. We know that to be a little bit different now for people, but uh, that's a whole nother, that's, a, that's another topic for sure. But for me, school was an outlet. School was an opportunity to go somewhere else, to do experience something different that was away from, from what I was seeing at home. And so I got involved in a lot of after-school programs, organizations. Um, people recommended, you know, whether it be teachers or mentors, they recommended college uh, exploration programs. You know, whether I was in sixth grade, kind of getting hinted that college was an option and kind of beyond. And so for me, it comes with just being able to you know be somebody outside of where I was where I was grown up and 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 from, because of education and just seeing that it's not just my experience it's my it was my neighbors it was the kids in the next block uh, these individuals are are have have their own struggles and some of them been able to prevail but many of them have are, are still struggling in their own ways and it's not to look at the judgment, but it's to look at the system that places that struggle on them. And so I've always tried to understand the systems at work, where the systematic problems are. And it's, it's only made my uh, understanding and my reach more effective because I want to help in spaces that, that are in need and that need, you know, the next level. Yeah. Could you share a bit about sort of your your journey as far as experiences or jobs I mean you were and forgive me if I'm wrong like in the field of social work right that you feel sort of prepare you for trying to get elected onto the the school board yeah so I would say my experience in after school programs from the early age of, of middle school and and high school, gives me the insight of kind of, of how that's impactful for each student. Um, but moving beyond that and, and the different positions um, that I've had, I first started as a boys mentor for the American Reads and Counts um, with ASU. And with that one, we worked with uh, different schools, uh, the Kyrene Element, Elementary School District and the ASU Preparatory Academy. And we're assisting them with tutoring activities and boys mentorship. That was like my first introduction 12 years ago, I would say, I then through, through the pathways of my social work program, I, I needed to acquire an internship and, this, and I interned at the YMCA 
And at this internship, I was in uh, helping the Y Achievers program, which works with underserved youth and young adults who are trying to obtain their GED, uh, education ventures, or workforce opportunities. And so I kind of then was still doing that program, helping them. And I got a part-time job with Tumbleweed uh, as a youth care worker. And so again, I'm working with these individuals on education, workforce development, as well as independent living skills. And I, I promoted with as a case manager. Uh, at that time, I was working a lot with, with the uh, at-risk youth. Uh, they were either ages 14, 16, 18, 19, um, all experiencing being at risk of homeless, trying to either do education and um, work or, you know, education and independent living. You know, while I was ASU, I, I also was a first-year success coach where I was helping first-year college students and transfer students navigate that, that uh, navigate the college system, try to help them be successful and, and, and helping them with helping this, well, essentially the school retain these students. And I feel I was exposed to, you know, what is kind of like the pitfalls of the system when someone's trying to, you know, seek that route. You know, I know my peers, they, they were in the same class as I was and little by little, a lot of these students dropped off and they, you know, dropped out. And I know that each, each person has their own reason and, and whatnot, but a lot of times there was just not enough support for these students. You know, I've always had an interest in that way. Uh, I, I kind of moved on uh, a little bit with workforce development. I, I became an employment coach. I'm, I'm currently an, uh, an ombudsman uh, with the state, uh, working with individuals with, with disabilities, helping them navigate the, the system uh, and helping them obtain um, jobs. And then I'm also a program coordinator with the nonprofit, uh, work with after school uh, programming and students, um, elementary and middle school range. So it's kind of a lot, but <laughs> that was the correct answer. Uh, with all of that, and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit when you, you said you were sort of seeing the pitfalls in the system. Well, I guess we'll pause that part. But I guess now at this point in your life, choosing to run for the Alhambra Elementary School Board. I've always imagined myself doing what was necessary for me to be as informed and educated in different sectors, um, you know, whether it be education uh, or social services, mental health. I try to do my best to just be aware, climate change. And so I've been involved in different networks that help me stay connected with, with individuals who are, who, you know, are more experts in different areas. But as far as why me and why now, you know, the last couple of years with the pandemic, things have become more politicized and polarized, especially within the education system, particularly with between K, K through 12. Um, not only has Arizona, you know, purposefully depleted the, edu- the public education system for the last two decades, it is, it is only now that, that the public, ed- not now, it, it seems more apparent that now the education system, uh, the public education system is, is at its most vulnerable state where there's, even though we have a $5.3 billion surplus that can easily be handed to educational services and educational institutions, there's still talks of making cuts to these, these very departments. And so with the risk of, of that, plus the 
people, uh, like I said, people are um, um, politicizing and, and polarizing everything. School trust and people in the community having faith in schools it has become somewhat imbalanced by those who speak louder, loudest. You know, you have radical groups like Purple for Parents that really take on certain talking points that are anti-public schools and they're enraging the community where these things aren't really happening. And so where there's disinformation in social media, disinformation between the news networks, it's affecting schools greatly. And, you know, I I went back to school um, when I got my bachelor's in social work to obtain my master's and I went for public policy. And for me, it's because I wanted to make sure that anytime I entered an area of public service, I was going to be able to, you know, effectively assist with a positive change. And because, you know, the Red for Ed movement has had momentum and, and loses and, and continues to gain it and then kind of looks, makes traction and gains it again. You know, I feel like now is definitely the time to just be as vocal as we can about securing and, and safeguarding our, our school's funding and also the threat of the teachers and, and teacher morale and, and you know, the, the re, uh, retention rate between administrative staff and teachers, all that's, you know, going crazy. And for me, I've always focused an area of recruitment and retention. So I would want to continue that work and, and, and assist this area as well when it comes to, you know, the threat that the schools have when it comes to being understaffed. Yeah. And now unpausing my other question, um, what are some of the pitfalls? I, I know you brought up like the funding and, and sort of retention of teachers and staff. Are there other pitfalls in the system that you've, you've noticed in the past few years? Yeah, I mean, I guess the last few years, you know, there's been a hard push on, you know, securing a certain tax for education. And with the courts throwing that out, you know, essentially a, a people voter initiative, there's a different strategy that I feel the education movement here is trying to, to look at. And one of the saving grace is that education budget that is being pushed right now for the governor to, you know, allocate, I think it was like $1.3 billion of, of these funds to help institutions, mental health services, community, you know, wraparound. And so I feel like some of the pitfalls that, that have been existing the last last few years is the way parents have felt disconnected with schools and, and how to help their child succeed in, in school. You know, where I'm where I'm from in Alhambra School District, we have, a, a, you know, predominantly it's people of color, you know, Hispanics. It's over, I believe, over 95 percent Hispanic and even, you know, large Largely to that, a lot of uh, English uh, as a second language learners. And so that has always struggled. Uh, the programs like that have always struggled because of the previous rules that Arizona had enforced back in the, the thousands. And so now with the pandemic being managed and, and trying to uh, uh, overcome the, that, our students have been struggling and our parents have been able to not been able to connect them with the material that their teachers have been providing them. From what I understand, you know, parents, especially in Alhambra, parents are just, they're working that, you know, parents working till six, they don't, they don't have the time to always attend the, the straight after school programming and, and teachers shouldn't be, you know, 
have to stay after six or whatever just to carry out instruction. So I've been told, you know, by people who I've talked to that they still want to see virtual meetings or, or recordings that they're able to kind of seal at a later time that they can stay connected. But what the community faces and what school faces is a digital divide, the digital gap. You know, the community needs some some more understanding and training on how to use some of the technology that we're expecting our, our children to to be using and being experts on. And although they will adapt pretty quickly, um, the parents at home are, are still the ones that need some of that coaching. And so there's a really large pitfall with the digital divide, digital gap, and trying to help make sure that parents are able to support what you know, platforms that the schools are using. And, and it, it's not even just technology. Sometimes it's even just email and, and knowing how to navigate certain portals, see certain communications, notification, grades. I think there's an opportunity here. Um, I know there's you know a lot of times that certain districts are pushing for Wi-Fi in certain parks, certain areas nearby. There's definitely um, some positives that are coming, but when it comes to programming and after-school programming, you know, there's still not enough. And, and parents, like I said, are, are still working. They need their kids doing something um, that's life-enriching, that's going to help close the achievement gap. You know, I know kids are burnt out at the end of the day, but there's, there's plenty of programs, STEAM programs that can connect fun with education. And, and um, you know, the, the nonprofit that I work for, that, that's exactly what they do. There's a lot more room to to put some of the things we learned from the pandemic in effect, but largely the biggest pitfall is the funding. Yeah, I think the the pandemic, especially like 2020, we saw at least for me, some of my friends who are teachers who work in sort of higher uh, socioeconomic status districts, they were getting MacBooks, and uh, I would have other friends who work in school districts that weren't able to provide that. Their kids are just trying to get food, right? Their lower, lower socioeconomic status or, or the parents weren't English speaking, right? So it was so interesting that the spectrum of problems were, were over here. They're like, we got MacBooks, what's up? And then over here, they're just like, how do we get these kids food? Because school lunch is probably their only meal of the day or they don't have Wi-Fi at home, so they're trying to set up these little kiosks around the neighborhood, but then you got to get the kid to the Wi-Fi kiosk. I, I was shook, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to think of words for that, but... Yeah, and I would just quickly say, you know, Alhambra School District did acknowledge that pretty quickly. You know, the, the board, the, you know, some members of the board are, are pretty involved in child nutrition, and so that was one of their priorities. And, and fortunately... Um, during the, the early part of the pandemic, there was a plan that was put out there. But I agree, I agree, like kids aren't thinking about this math assignment or have to read this when they're hungry. The same way parents aren't thinking about how they should, you know, be at that PTA or the parent-teacher meeting um, when they have to make sure that they can work and, and make sure they have a home to live under. And so I, I believe a lot of parents are thinking about that more than they are thinking about, oh, it, how could I talk to my teacher and, and attend their little little um, after school gathering? You know, and and although it would be fun, I'm sure they're not really thinking about. It. They're thinking about survival, and that's that's right. the, the people that I, I know what they care about. Yeah, something that I found 
like crazy coincidence. I, I attended a kindergarten night because I'm a I'm a pre-K teacher and a school came to present like why why your kids should come to our school for kindergarten. And so I'm listening to them and it's fine. And they kept bringing up, you know, uh, that Arizona is a, what, I don't know what the term, like freedom of choice. Like you could choose wherever you want to go to school. I don't know the, I know it's not pro-choice. It's whatever, right? You, you get to choose where, where your kid, you don't it, have to it's live. A school, it, it, I don't know, I was going to say, it's a school choice okay. state and it's, uh, it's the school voucher program that they have. Okay. And so I thought just hearing, like not knowing anything, I thought, oh, cool. Sure. I guess you should be able to choose where your kid goes. If maybe the neighborhood school is not great or something you don't like about it. Sure. I guess you should be able to go. And in talking with you, just sort of a little bit in passing, I think you don't like that, right? And so I'm, that's a terrible summary. Like you don't like that. But that caught my interest because I thought, oh, what? Because I want to know what it is. I don't, I guess I don't fully understand it then because, you know, I, I trust you. I've known you for so long. And if, if you say something is not good or I want to hear it. So could you explain what all of that is? Yeah. So, you know, I, I welcome, I welcome anyone to fact check just cause I, I do want to make sure I'm correct. Know how I'm speaking about this subject, but essentially the state, it, it promotes itself as a school choice state, the school, the, the state has allocated and even created boards to help oversee these programs, what they call the school voucher program. School vouchers, essentially, uh, in, in, a, in an easy way to explain, it, it allows you to take the it allows you to take the public dollars that was allocated for this child, you know, maybe your child or someone's child, to go to a school. Uh, a lot of many times, most times, it's it's a private school, and essentially taking public dollars into a private institution. Now. Private schools can be better and better in a lot of ways, depending on the parent, depending on the criteria. You know, a lot of times schools, particular private schools, will promote themselves as high achieving, very specific focus, will teach a particular values, set on a, a certain curriculum, things that w- would attract somebody, uh, especially in underserved community, but they uh, are high achieving and they're intelligent. Of course, this parent is going to think, oh, I want my child to have the best opportunity, especially if they're excelling, I want them to be there. Now, that, that's great. And I don't discount a person who thinks, you know, how do I help, help my child get there to this, you know, level of success that they're envisioning. Uh, so private schools, essentially, the private schools that, that these, these charter, these kids are going to that are charter schools, they are rooted in a lot of religious values. And some of these religious values are kind of the older ways that had not allowed students to be uh, safe in their own, you know, culture, identities, you know, different backgrounds. And so if you're going to be putting public dollars into a private institution, the concern is that you are teaching an entire cohort or even an entire generation these religious values that are probably considered harmful for what the public schools have tried to do when it keeps to, when it when it comes to trying to keep state and church and government church and state separate. Yeah. And I'm not saying anything's wrong about anything with religious values, but when when over 80% of these private charter schools are rooted 
in religion, uh, it does take away some of that neutrality. While they're doing that, they're letting public schools uh, fail. They're letting they're, they're, they're continue with the cuts. You know, so the, these parents who are being convinced that this private school choice option is better, it's literally taking more and more money out of school out of these public schools. And so people say, well, if they're not going to be successful, then why have them there? And, and you know, I think the governor likes to uh, really talk about we 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 fund systems, not we fund students, not systems. And I'm not saying that the public education system, you know, is great and it you know it doesn't have any flaws. There are plenty of things that you know it needs improvement on. But what it does look, consider is the public at at whole. It looks at diversity of the students that are there. And now when there's a lot of concern of, you know, um, minority students, uh, undocumented students, indigenous students, LGBT students, there's no protections in these private institutions, whereas you have more protections in public institutions. Mm. And so the accountability is no longer going to be present. And that's what's concerning for the public educators, because not only have they been removed from from funding options they they're purposely being let fail so that way you know these people can flock over to to the school choice which is like i said private institutions rooted in, in religious values uh, and, and it's hard it's, it's it's lightly to say values and and, it, and maybe what i don't understand that you know maybe i don't want my child to carry traditions i don't mind if they carry values of like fairness and justice. So if I understand correctly, then, so the more students that go to the, the private institution, it's taking the schools get money for every student from the state. And so then less students go to the public schools because they may think a certain way, parents may think a certain way about either, either one. It takes away the funding from the, the neighborhood school. Is that kind of yeah, and, and it takes away um, programs like programs for individuals with disabilities, mental health, you know, certain counselors, nurses. It, do, it doesn't just take away the seat that the teacher is in front of. It takes away services um, from the schools. While simultaneously, some of these schools may not, the private charter schools may not even care about having, you know, a disability resource center or, or something that is, is specialized for a vulnerable population. So what are you able to do? you read things happening in the world or even just like, let's just say our state. And I know when I feel super overwhelmed, I go, well, F it. Uh, I guess there's nothing I can do. What, what are you able to do then? I guess if you were elected on the, the school board to sort of help in any way, I'd, I'm not familiar yeah. with like the powers or. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. according, according to the state, and, and the state statute is that a governing school governing board member or school governing board body essentially is primary role is to hire and fire their superintendent. And that's pretty much it. However, a lot of, I guess, collective, collective governing thinking for school boards is that they also, you know, think about safety, the, the, the overall trajectory of the school and so something that I can, you know, be a part of is, is making sure that the superintendent is following the vision of, of the board and, and me being part of that board. My thought is, you know, what are we doing to be 
immersed in the community? What are, how are we on, hearing ongoing parents' um, concerns? You know, to my understanding, a lot of the administrative, you know, staff, you know, administrative assistants, secretary assistants who are in the front at the front desk, they're getting an earful all the time with parents mm-hmm. who have something to say about what's going on with the school. And, and teachers, not only do they have to worry about educating the student and making sure they're successful, they're also having to help, you know, address some of these complaints uh, or concerns or grievances. You know, with my current job position as an ombudsman, you know, that's what I do. I help, I help with complaints. I help, you know, address the communication barriers, addressing the trends that we're seeing. And that way parents can see real-time change and real-time interaction with the school. So I, I would want to focus a level of that so we could make sure that we're um, addressing the school's needs. Something that I would want to um, bring up that some, someone in a governing board position could do is that with the safety concern of schools and guns, and there's a large push for putting SRO officers in every single school. And data shows that doesn't do well for our students, for their safety. It, it just doesn't help. I'm not saying a, a, a police officer couldn't help in a situation, especially if an armed person came on property, but largely their role just being on side isn't helping. And so a person, a person in this position can essentially say, we want to uh, SRO on every single campus. And, and, and there probably is going to be a push for that. Um, I do have a concern and say, uh, um, for the safety of, of the children and the staff of the schools. So there are measures that I would want to explore, security measures, stuff like that. But at the root of it is support staff, mental health, behavioral health, curricula and, and, and training and workshops, just so that way everybody has the taxonomy, the language to be able to identify certain red flags, yellow, you know, pink flags, whatever, whatever that's going to help uh, address things sooner. I think that's what we're, we're missing. And so, you know, if, if provided the, the funds, if, if we're so fortunate to, to get some of that surplus money, which expires in September, we'll, we'll, we would be able to put additional services in schools and make sure that schools, you know, have the right funding. You know, and, and unfortunately, with, with, like I said, budget cuts existing, the school board ha- uh, for Alhambra had to make a decision on letting letting the girls academy um, facility get closed and they had to move it to a different um, school. And that's just because we don't have the funding to keep the operations going. So a person in my power would be able to allocate um, where funding should be and, and to make sure prior uh, things are prioritized. And I, and I, and I know that in, in their hearts of the, of the, of the current governing board that they wouldn't, they would never want to close a school especially a girls' academy that, that was doing well and is, is successful. Um, but with the cuts that trickles down from the state, some decisions have to be made. But, but my thing is that I'm, I'm creative. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to network with different groups, business partners, nonprofits, to see if there's things that we can uh, offset. And I know people do that already when it comes to just being, you know, trying to be physically responsible but I also want to use my social work lens to bring in these community partners. Uh, so that way we can, we can work out some of these challenges. Yeah. I've always appreciated when we would do fraternity uh, business, you, you always 
you didn't think of the easiest thing to do. You always, you always pushed us to try to, uh, like you said, be creative with our, our problem solving and, or even just thinking of different events that we haven't done before. And I think that would definitely be helpful. I think we just sort of resort to what's the easiest thing. Let's just throw money at it. Let's just cut this thing because we don't think it's, it's as important. So I think you would. I mean, I've told you before, I think, I think you, you'll be amazing at this and you kind of are at, at a, whatever you, you try to do, whatever you put effort into. Would you say part of you running is a majority of you wanting to help more? Or is there a percentage of that and you see some things happening with the current board that you're like, what sort of second guessing, like, what, what are y'all doing up there? So you feel like you have to jump in. Does that make sense? We could totally cut this part out if you'd like, but uh, (laughs) if this is an okay question. Yeah. You know, I I am confident that the current board is managing, but I am confident that me being a part of the board will help elevate. Mm. And that's, that's a pretty bold statement. I feel, but I feel like I want to, I want to move the needle. We know that these problems exist. The, the, the district knows the problem exists, um, but are we moving the needle? And I know there's, uh, you know, there's rightfully intended minds on that board, but maybe there's some complacency as well. Um, so I don't want to bash the efforts for sure, but I want to move the needle. And I know uh, with my understanding of the way the community is working, um, the, the different movements that are surrounding, you know, the communities that I'm involved in, for me, it, the time is now, I, you know, I, I've been asked to think about it, to consider it. And I didn't want to just do it for nothing. You know, if someone asked me, do you have kids? I don't have kids, you know, but I, I will. And when I do have them, they're going to go to Westwood, the school that lives that's down the street. And when they're done, they're going to go to to the middle school. And, and yeah, do I want them to have opportunities? Do I want them to, to explore different programs? I want, you know, yeah, but will that be there by the time my, my child goes? And I'm going to be adopting, so my child's going to get there quicker than, than you know, next, not going to happen next year, but yeah. it's going to happen sooner. And, and when I do, I, I want my child who may, who may have different needs, have the opportunity to be successful as well. And, and if, if the model of the school district is to educate the whole child and to prepare them for the world or the global economy, there's a lot more that the school needs to be, the school district should be doing to be at least competing with the rest of the, the state. Many of the students that go here, their parents, they live, they're gonna live here for decades. And so what happens in this community, what happens in the school district is going to affect the community. And, and I live here. So I, to me, it's just like, it's, it's more important than ever. And, I, and in my life, I feel pretty stable with the way things that I've been able to do on a personal level that I make, I'm making room for this next step. And um, it's a little bit of both to go back to the question of, is it, is it, no, is it for me? Is it for me? Or is it, is it because of the now? And I feel like it's, it's both. Okay. You're out collecting signatures right to is this and this is to gain enough signatures to put you on the ballot is that right yes and you're talking to talking to the people has anything surprised you in interacting with the community when 
you know, you're sort of sharing why you want to run or maybe they're asking questions about you. Has anything sort of caught you off guard in, in any conversations? Well, so I, I would say it's a mixed surprise because part of me, from how I observe, you know, the media and how I observe when people talk about the media, I kind of suspected that there will be some individuals who, who will have certain talking points ready for me when I approach them at the door. A lot of times people are pretty nice. They're, they they, they want to see somebody who is ready to make change. They want somebody to see, they want to see a young person. They want to see somebody who cares about the schools and they easily just sign. They say, good luck. And they, they, they tell me like, see you along the campaign, right? But then the ones that are very critical and will kind of make me work for a signature are the individuals who first they'll ask me if I'm going to try to put CRT in schools, critical race theory in schools. And I just say no. Uh, reasons why I say no is because putting CRT in schools is a right-wing conservative Republican talking point. Not that you have to be any of those to talk about it, but it's largely in the news outlets that people, particularly school boards, are putting CRT, critical race theory, in schools. School boards are not doing that. Local school boards are not doing that. Critical race theory is a law school type of curriculum or, or, or a class that helps explore the systematic issues as it relates to racial uh, injustices. And mm-hmm. so it looks at how we, how we could better the systems that are currently existing and where they rooted racially or where do they have racially inclined natures. And so that is not something that's being taught to, you know, high schoolers, to middle schoolers, not even to elementary schoolers. And so people think though, that that's what we're doing. That's what school, school boards, left wing, Antifa people are doing. And, you know, I, I simply tell these individuals, no, I'm not putting CRT in schools. They want to ask about my, my political affiliation. I, I tell them, um, but I also tell them that it's a nonpartisan race because it's mm-hmm. not about my, it's not about my um, party affiliation. They usually are okay with signing it from that point. One of the things though, that I am getting a lot of questions though, that I, that I'm not too happy with is the question of, are you going to put that homosexual or that transsexual stuff in schools? Mm. When they're telling me they have, a, they have trouble talking, they have trouble saying the words, they're, they try to say, are you, talk, are you going to talk about that gender stuff? And, 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 and I just say, are, are you referring to this? Or, you know, are, I'm not sure what, you know, I ask them, are, what, are you ta- what are you asking? You know, but a lot of times it has to do with transgender, homosexual education, and whether or not I'm going to enforce that in schools. And, you know, I know with the state and, and the governor, there's the same, you know, copycat rhetoric that Florida, no state, don't say gay bill, you know, has reached our corners in the legislature. And so um, I know that's a talking point here. And I know, you know, teachers are going to feel even uh, less protected and secure because they, they, they're fearful of talking about things of, of that nature. And, you know, kids are so curious. I know, I know your posts kids are so curious from, you know, from your pre-K report post, yeah. um, but they are, they, they are so curious, but they're so 
where. And I'm hearing kids, I'm hearing kids, you know, whether it be my after school program or my other side job, I'm a child monitor. I watch parents and kids interact. It's them talking about how they're just aware of the topic in itself. So to me, I, I, I don't think it's something that you can make a law and say you can't talk about this when kids are very, very aware of, of, these, of these spectrums that exist. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty surprised when some of these people tell me, you know, I had this one guy was like, you know, he asked me about CRT. I said, no, then he asked me about the homosexual stuff. And, and at first, um, before he asked me, he was already signing and he was almost done signing. And he looks at me, he goes, are you going to put that sexual stuff in there? And I was like, I don't know what you're saying, but no. And then he's like, because if you do, I'll kill you. I know he said, if you do, I'll find you and I'll kill you. And he finished signing and I laughed and I said, no, you won't, sir. And one of my, uh, my, my, my rugby coach was with me. He was just hanging out to the side and he was just like, kind of just there. Like he's saying, he's my bodyguard and I appreciate him being there. Um, but he's there too, you know, and we're just like, all right, this guy is definitely not somebody who I want ultimately supporting me because that's not what I'm for. But I wasn't fearful because it was just some older dude, older mm-hmm. white dude, you know, and, and really long sh- uh, shirt. I couldn't even tell if he was wearing shorts. And he, he, he just seemed like he, he gets all his information from the news. You know, he does not have any children in these schools. It, it's coming from that. So, and it's not to talk about anybody who I talk to, but it's more about, I know these individuals are getting certain information from the news. They're using that as a talking point to talk to when they talk to me and they're largely misinformed. Um, so I, I see that quite a bit. That must be very irritating. <laughs> I, I, as a teacher, I do, I sometimes run into, I mean, not like that. Like they've never uh, said they were going to kill me, but, and then I, you know, in my anger, I go, why don't you just Google it? But then you think about it with how the algorithms work. If they Googled it a certain way and a certain news media outlet pops up and gives them a twisted version of it. And they're like, see, I was right. Like, you don't know how to fact check. You don't know how to critically think about that must be very irritating to um, to have to to go through that. I think you'll kick ass. Uh, I've been on my best behavior, not cursing, but uh, I'll say ass. Is there anything else you want to share? 15 people listen to this. So, and eight of them live in Ontario, Canada. So they, they can't vote for you. Is there any, anything else you want to share about you, about why you're running? Only 15 people listen to this. Um, eight of them live in uh, Quebec, Canada. So they can't <laughs> vote for you. But um, for the other people... Is there anything that we haven't touched on as far as, you know, why you're running or the work you, you hope to do uh, if elected? Anything that, that maybe we, we didn't get to, to talk about? Yeah, you know, I first want to talk like or mention the importance of local election. What we do every four years on national election year is that we start at the top of the ballot, vote for the president, the senator, the governor, and sometimes a few other people, and then people are just kind of, I'm done, and then they check out. That has not worked well for us, particularly for the progressive movement. And so what I know other candidates are doing and telling people is to vote down from the ballot down up and start from the bottom up. You know, start with your local election, start with your proposition, start with your 
you know, local county commissioner, your, your, your mayor, your represent, your councilman, uh, your school board members. If, even if you don't live in my district, start from the bottom up because the other parties that are, are less progressive in nature, they understand this very clear. They have their strategy pretty, pretty ironed out. And, and so they are taking over these local areas. They are working. They're trying to take over secretary office, recorder's office, local offices and school boards, because these are the institutions that protect democracy. And because we are largely thinking national scale, your senator, your governor, uh, your, your president, although important, what's going to protect you is what's happening at the local level. So I would, I would just want to stress that a lot. And again, you know, there, there's elections not for a while away, but if you haven't uh, updated your, your information, now's the best time. If you're an independent voter, now's the best time to request uh, your primary ballots, you know, just to continue being part of the local process. I would stress that a, a, a lot. Um, and then if you're somebody who wants to be a part of, you know, my campaign or at least help support me, we're doing a door, door-to-door campaign. You know, we're, we're knocking on doors, we're talking to voters, we're calling events, parties. So if you're, in, if you're somebody who, you know, just wants to do any of that and support, I, I would appreciate any of that. And of course, um, any, any financial contributions, I take donations. Uh, as well. You know, if you want to help move the needle, if you want to help ensure that not only the students are, are, are s- safely secure, but that we're moving the, the needle on, on the change that we're looking for, keeping teachers in schools and having quality education and, and closing the digital gap, um, then, you know, check, out, check me out or, or support me. Cool. I appreciate this. Uh, I'm sorry if this negatively affects your, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) It won't. This was great. No, but as, as a parent of two and um, as a teacher, everything you're saying, I really appreciate. And so I feel, I hope that comes across as well. And um, I'll put links in the show notes for all the links you send me. (laughs) So I, I will pass it on to everybody. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to hit stop recording and then... Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, you'll regret this once it's up. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation because I'm aligning myself with other individuals who care about these things in the right way. I appreciate your your feedback and the space to talk about this. Yes, of course. Anytime. And so what happens in this community, what happens in the school district is going to affect the community. And, and I live here. So I, to me, it's just like it's, it's more important than ever. Mm-hmm.